Scotty, we're getting ready for the episode, but I'm going to need you to roll for fun. All right. All right. I got this. Oh, oh no, it fell off the desk. <laughs> Hold on one more time. Okay. Okay. Brenda, that's a solid 13 right there, but wait, hold on, I've got, well, hold on, I've got a plus three to fun, so that's a 16. I think it's gonna do it, it's fun fiction! Welcome to Fun Fiction, ladies and gentlemen, the weekly podcast where we journey deep into the world of media and see what us, uh, the fans, what we've created... I'm one of your hosts, Scotty Moore. And I'm the other host, Brenna Clark. What's Hello. The- oh my gosh, Brenna. This episode, okay, I'm I'm pumped for this episode. Cause I like I know we were slightly worried about like, oh, I don't know, Adventure Zone's kind of a niche thing. I don't know if it's gonna right. if it's gonna draw in. And then I looked up like all the fan fiction about it, and I remember going to Dragon Con last year and seeing like an entire floor of people all dressed in Adventure Zone characters, and then I was like, We'll be fine. We'll be fine. I I believe in the power of this fan base. It's a beautiful okay. So I also realized that this trying to do all eight arcs of the Adventure Zone crammed into one episode would be like trying to do the entire Harry Potter series. So, yeah, it would just be gush hour for two hours. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think what we're gonna do is break it up into multiple different episodes, and just, which is why I think we're gonna just start with with arcs one and two the only thing we're allowed to spoil is arcs one and two that god this is gonna be so hard it's gonna be real tough it's gonna be like it's gonna be like when uh me and me and my lady started re-listening to the show and she had never heard it and there are stuff during there's stuff between the first two seasons or the first two arcs where i am just sitting there driving like white knuckling it like don't say anything! Don't say anything! I can see that because there's so many clues now listening to uh, the, the Adventure Zone Zones right. that they touch on that I'm like, oh, oh my god. Yeah, like, so I can I, understand that. I never thought about that, but yes! So, yeah, I, I think we're just gonna do arcs one and two today, and we're, we're if if this is a successful episode, if this is a very good app, if people love this episode, we will start doing three, four, five, six, seven, and then the finale. I really don't want to like push that responsibility onto our listeners because there's so much good stuff after <laughs> these two arcs. I I want to push it on them because now it's it's up to you guys. You have to choose. Um, and well, but- guess what? I'm gonna be pressing refresh on our YouTube <laughs> video to get so many likes or what views, whatever. Uh-huh. Brenna Br- 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 Clark has created 50 new Google accounts, all of which are constantly liking and watching the video of this episode. Don't underestimate me, Scotty. <laughs> but yeah, and also I like the idea of not spoiling anything past at Arc 2, because like if people listen to this and they haven't listened to Adventure Zone, I don't want to spoil the amazing things that go down after this. 
Right, because the ones after this are where the plot gets going. Yeah, like this is this is where you're more introduced to the boys and all this stuff that goes on. Like, I realized something, and I hate to say it, but and I guess it evens out. But arc one might be my least favorite. I'm not saying it's bad. None of them are bad, but arc one might be my least favorite of them all, just because you can tell they're start. They haven't grown into themselves yet. Yeah, and from. They were starting from an actual pre-written yeah. which, book. So. Yeah, which is amazing to me, the fact that good old Griffy boy, and I like this might just be a gush hour about Griffin about McElroy. Griff, yeah. <laughs> because Griffin and I share a talent, which I like to call like writing wizardry. And I don't mean that in a, we're so good, we're like wizards. I mean in a manner of like, we take dumb ideas and dumb concepts which in my case come out of my weird mind and in griffin's case usually comes out of justin's mouth yeah and, and we somehow are able to transform that into like a beautiful long ass narrative that's great like um like the fact that griffin was able to slowly because like the first three or four episodes you could tell he's like going straight by the book and i right. think the introduction of your favorite and mine, Barry Blue Jeans. Ah, uh, Barry Blue Jeans. Good, good old Barry Blue Jeans is where he was like, wait a minute, I can do whatever I want here. And that's really where it starts to get going. Well, they were talking about that, um, that a lot of, he's a lot of people's favorite characters. And they said the reason they think that is, is because that's where they really started to deviate from the story and do their own thing. So mm -hmm. he's like the first big change so yeah. people grabbed onto him can i just say i used to when i worked at build a bear or build a dinosaur in orlando i would always ask them what they were going to name their bear and if they didn't know i would usually say three names the first two didn't matter because the third was always berry blue jeans and it <laughs> let me it let me know who adventure zone fans were because i'd be like berry blue jeans and i would get a haha that's funny or a oh my god you know I'm trying to think. Did you try to name my cat that? I may have tried to name your cat Barry Blue Jeans. Brenda, this show has that influenced so me. so familiar to me. Yeah. I mean, I, and also, I mean, this is off topic as well. It's not as much Gush Hour, but, like, I don't think this show would have existed. Like, fun fiction would not exist without Adventure Zone. Because Adventure Zone is what really sparked our super friendship. We've been at, we've been at, like super friendship for a while and then adventure zone took us to ultra friendship like super saiyan friendship <laughs> <laughs> exactly you think super saiyan I, this is a level beyond super saiyan friendship <laughs> and so yeah that and so that's why i think this show is super important because it brings people together in like a really great way and that's why I love it more than anything else in the world because it's so weird, but it becomes a narrative that is so beautiful down beautiful, the line. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. But we can't talk about that. Instead, we have to talk about the, the less decent episode arc one. Although, to be uh, fair, I think it balances because <laughs> it's called balance. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I think it balances out because arc two. With the exception of maybe the Suffering Game, Arc 2 is my favorite arc in this entire damn series. Yeah. It went from a world of, like, 
Because it's where Griffin finally went, I'm going to control everything. And it's where the boys, the Los Tres Horny Boys, finally <laughs> came into their own, really. Because, like, the scene with Jenkins. Oh, my God. The first scene with Jenkins where they're just giving him constant shit on the train is the Spell moment. Slots. That- <laughs> Spell you're, you're all being very cruel to me. You're not. <laughs> It's my f- one of my favorite things in the entire world was was that scene and that's really what started to hook me into it. Although uh I am going to I'm going to pose a question to you right now. Okay. Who was the better villain? Barry or uh and well no, we can spoil it. Uh who was the better villain, Jenkins or Magic Brian? Uh it, uh, uh. Probably Jenkins, I think. Oh, man, I don't know. Because, like, with Magic Brian, he was just purely evil. Although he was also very lovely and a very nice man. But in addition to that, I feel like uh, Jenkins had a reason to be evil because they were assholes to him for, like, the first hour on that train. And, like, once he was revealed at the bad guy, I'm like, they earned this. They earned this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he probably would have done that stuff even if they hadn't have been mean to him, but yeah. it made it a lot worse. It really did. It it little, but since we're since we're now on the train, should we discuss besides Barry Blue Jeans, the greatest character? I love Barry Blue Jeans. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Brenna, but Brenna, like this, a, a character who, when you announced to the world, I've started listening to this, the world responded back with one name and one name only, and it was Angus the Boy Detective McDonald. Oh, good old Ango. God, I love Angus. Like, Angus is still so good that at live shows, when Griffin goes, hello, sirs, the entire audience just Cheers. erupts. He is the Kramer of this podcast. When he comes in, the whole crowd's like, it's him! It's such a sweet, precious little voice, too. Yeah, he's the best. I love that little boy. Because, like, I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna let you... Can I'm gonna let you gush for a few while I go over my notes, because... Look... <laughs> a, a, a solid amount of mine. I, I think I just wrote the words, Angus fucking McDonald, in big block letters, and that's my entire notes on this. On mine, it just says Angus and two exclamation points. Most of the time, I have, like, more detailed notes, but, like, there's so much that I love that I just kind of wrote down (laughs) words to go off of. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it just, Angus, tacos, bacon. Like, what the fuck does this mean? It's a grocery list. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My adventure zone grocery list. But yeah, with me, like, it, this was, it was really tough because, like, I want to gush about the whole show, but I, I feel like if we do, that's all we're going to do for the four, the four episodes we do of this is just gush about the entire show and how good everyone is. So I had to really focus in. And I realized, like, these first two arcs, the boys are all good, but you can tell it took, uh, Merle and Magnus a longer time to kind of get into their own skin. Meanwhile, from the very beginning, baby, Taco had it. Taco was there. 
good old taco. Taco. I'm, I'm sorry. I know you say further in Magnus is your favorite, but taco. <laughs> taco is my favorite, no matter what, dude. I love taco. Magnus won me over, and I I can't help it. <laughs> You're like I can't discuss how he won me over, but well, he oh, yeah. won me over. Well, I uh, can say that he he has a animal proficiency. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he's i don't know he's a sweet little cinnamon roll and i love him i think the reason why i love taco is because taco is an exploration of all of the like taco won me over early because it wasn't like justin jumped into the character faster it was just the fact that taco is an exploration of all the weird buck wild spells that are in this game so like as it goes on and i we're definitely going to talk about it more when we get to pedals to the metal but like as it went on more is revealed of like oh wait your character can do this and like it it's insane how much taco was just here to be like yeah i mean i'm here and i'm here to tell you that uh i can fuck shit up real fast brother (laughs) This is going to be so hard. You need to just static out the things. <laughs> yes. Well, hold on, because we can talk about the Bureau of Balance, because they do find out about that. But anything that's like a spoiler, if we accidentally spoil anything, you just hear like... <laughs> Which was very disorienting to listen to when it actually happened, by the way. <laughs> Because, well, also because it was before Griffin, like, really got into the musical editing, which I know we gonna talk about a lot. But once he's, like, instead he was like, I can't edit in static. Instead, I'm just gonna go, <laughs> like, damn it, Griffin. That good, good boy. That good, good boy. I- I'm sorry, like, another thing I want to bring up, and it's not about the show itself, and since this is a show all dedicated to fan fiction and dedicated to how great the fans are, this show has the best fans on the planet. Like, I I, I am currently staring at, on my desk, I have these three small, like, almost like a, almost like when you used to go get photos developed, like that sized uh, prints of some amazing Adventure Zone art that I bought at Dragon Con. And like... There are so many beautiful things that came out of this fandom that don't involve the McElroys themselves. Not, and I'm not dissing the McElroys. I love my boys, but God, the fan base on this show creates such beautiful things, my dude. Yeah, I've been staring at fan art for the past however long it's been since I finished the first campaign. Yeah, you're just like, please no. Which, by the way, you do need to get into the other arcs. Like, I know. Uh, Dust is possibly one of my favorite things they've ever done. And we won't get into spoiling Dust, but Dust is such a good little mini arc they did. Um, also, I realized something listening back to the first two. I realized, I just realized, I say also, and I realized a lot on this show, and I, I need to change that. But um, listening back to the first, the first, like, arcs before griffin really got into really got into making the music for the show because like that dude that boy got talent he did he likes to, yeah he likes to say like oh it's nothing but no that boy got no, real nothing. he got a lot like he made my favorite song of all time um 
but like, have you ever heard like a song that you hadn't heard in a while or a song that like you listened to a lot during a certain period in your life? And when you re-listen to it later, it takes you back? Yes. I have the weirdest association with the Adventure Zone theme music because I used to, when you work in Orlando, Florida, you need to relegate yourself to the fact that you will be in your car roughly five hours every day driving. And so I would always listen to the Adventure Zone or Mabim Bam, My Brother, My Brother, and Me, their other show on my way in and way out of work. And this was also at a time where I was a very poor boy and I had very little money. So every night what I would eat was just like garlic bread with <laughs> SpaghettiOs on top of it. Yummy. Like, well, yeah, it was very good. But now anytime I hear this damn theme song, I'm like I can taste SpaghettiOs. I'm like, oh, that's some good spaghetti I'm eating from this theme song. It's great. Well, this is kind of off topic, but it's kind of the same thing for me when I play um, Plants vs. Zombies. I always yeah. taste hot fries because that's always what <laughs> I would eat when I played it. And then I hear your voice doing the Crazy Dave lines. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, the Adventure Zone to me means spaghetti. If anyone's ever like, what, is this, what does this show mean to you? Spaghetti. spaghetti. It means spaghetti. I'm getting some good spaghetti that night. Um, also, I just want to show, this is more about the McElroy personalities as a whole, but did you watch Mystery Science Theater, like, as a kid and then growing up as an adult? I, I saw some of it because my mom liked it, but I wouldn't say that I watched it a whole lot. Well, the beauty of that show was the fact that they would make incessant jokes about things, like, because I would watch it when I was, like, eight, and guess what? They don't make references that eight-year-olds eight year olds understand. No. And so I would just t turn around and be like, Mom, explain to me the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Or Mom, <laughs> explain to me this. And this show is the, like, I think of Adventures on almost the same way, wherein they have such a broad, specific humor where you can literally, you will learn things just from their joking, and it's so good. Like, the, like oh, no, can I bring up Della Reese? I don't know oh, if they use Bellerie uh, in the. Th it's it's a. I don't think they do, but you, we can static it out. It's fine. Okay, <laughs> okay. Merle uh, uses a spell later on where uh, uh, he has to summon an angel, and he summons one of the cast of Touched by the Angel. Is that is that vague enough? Yeah. For okay, that, that's a, that's a vague enough spoiler that we should be fine. But yeah, it's those kind of jokes that like not only are they funny, but they're satisfying. Like there's this almost schadenfreude feeling of like, no one else gets that joke, but I do. This is great. There was one time where it, it was Clint again, who he was doing some spell and uh, he said, can I say some magic words? And Griffin was like, sure. And he goes, mecha licka hi, mecha hiney ho. And I was like, <laughs> yes, Clint. Yes. <laughs> yes. Clint want, Clint's are the best. Because Clint's either I don't get it all, or it does give me that s straight up, oh my God, he just said that feeling. Yeah, because he, he digs down in the deep, deep references sometimes. And I have mm -hmm. to like Google, what is... <laughs> 
the show that he's talking about. <laughs> what What are you saying right now? You are speaking old, and I don't speak old. <laughs> you are speaking old, which another thing, like it's still such a fu- like they don't play with it as much in the first two arcs as they do later. But I love the family dichotomy they get into, where like. There are scenes where Merle is talking about his kids. Oh my god! And and you just feel like, oh no, he's talking about Griffin and Travis and Justin. He's not talking about like anything else. Like, oh, and I know you may have just realized something that you definitely can't bring up. What? <laughs> no, because there's another big family thing later oh. on that makes me cry every time, and we'll talk about it when we get to it. This Brenna, is so but, oh, hard, Scotty. <laughs> This is so difficult. Like, I, but I want to talk. Like, the majority of the reason I want to do four episodes is because there's so many damn good fan fictions that I want to get through them I all. Know. Yeah, because like the other day I was looking at, um, I was looking at them and I was like, wait a minute, no, I really want to read this one. Oh wait, but no, this would spoil something from, uh, from like uh, the eleventh hour, so I can't read this. Oh wait, I want to read this. Oh wait, no, that spoils a major character who comes into play during Crystal Kingdom. Can't do that. Yep. And so it finally reached a point where I was like, wait a minute, why do I have to choose? I can do everything. I have this whole world. But before we get into the world of fan fiction, Brenna. Yes. I just I want to tell everybody, Brenna. Do you do you like clothes? I I I I wear clothes every day of my life. Oh my God, Brenna! Well, do I have news for you? You wait, can get wait. Oh, roll for persuasion. <laughs> okay, hold on. That's a seven. Do I? Am I <laughs> Hold on, just let me see. What was I? Persuasion? Oh, I actually have a plus three to persuasion, so I'm going to say that's a ten. It's a, yeah, okay. Which is, that's about as well as I have been persuading yeah. people. But you can be, you can be getting uh, merch with our face on it, shirts with our faces on it, over at merch.aloadofpurebs.com in the fun fiction section. That's right, B. We finally got our own section on the website. We got enough merch up there. Ooh, ooh. That I, ooh, ooh. So yeah, we've got the one that was kind of Stranger Things inspired that says fun fiction. It actually just has our real faces on it. My favorite one, and this when, when I buy my fun fiction merch, this is the one I'm getting, is I did us as Funko Pop figures. It's got fun fiction across it, and then you got a little pop Brenna and a little pop Scotty on there. And it's cute yet, as hell. It's so fucking cute. And you can get it all over at merch.aloadofpurebsdiggity.com. All right, so B, did uh, did I went second last week? Do I get to go first? Well, Is that it? Maybe we should roll for initiative. Br- <laughs> Damn it, Brenna. Okay. Do you want to roll first? Okay. I got a nine. I didn't realize that you actually had <laughs> you actually had your dice up. Yeah, girl. I got a fourteen, motherfucker. I'm going first. Alright, I uh I use Scorching Ray. Um okay. <laughs> I cast Zone of Truth. <laughs> this is one of the only um only things I was able to really find that was in the arcs that we're discussing and it's actually between arcs one and two so this is 
between Moonlighting and Rockport, um, and uh, it, that's all really it is. And unfortunately, there's no Merle, and I felt bad about that. But it's really Magnus Taco uh, centric. That's okay. And it is by a lovely person named Silent. Oh my God, they have the best name ever. It's spelled P S I L E N T because the P is silent. Oh, I would have just said Pasilent. <laughs> no, the silent with a P, silent P. Got it. Um, okay. So let's get into this. <clears throat> Magnus is whittling. He's not sure yet what the end result is going to be. Just pro- possibly just a smaller block of wood, but that's not the point. The point is to eat up some time and keep himself busy. He's not sure where the others are, but he's not too worried about that. Robbie, a.k.a. Pringles, comes and goes, usually wandering in at odd hours and collapsing straight into bed or floor or table. Merle spends a lot of time outside watching the stars, and Taco Taco suddenly marches into the room, letting the door bang into the wall and swing itself shut behind him. Magnus looks up sharply, knife still halfway through another pull. Did something. How much? Taco interrupts, crossing his arms. Magnus frowns. How much what? How much do you figure I owe you? I mean, you got the loafers and I admitted to the gold, so I don't know exactly what you want. And I would really appreciate if you'd stop waiting for me to guess. (laughs) Magnus slowly sets the wooden block on the table, trying to give himself time to think. That doesn't help. He tilts his head. I have no idea what you're talking about. Taco crosses the room and leans over the table, one hand balled into a fist against his hip, the other slamming down with enough force to make the block jump. Bullshit, my dude. You straight fucking cannonballed into a pit of angry ogres and stopped them from playing tug-of-war with my limbs. You think I don't recognize, oh man, that guy still owes me money tactics at work? (laughs) It takes a minute for the meaning of this to sink in. And then it takes another second for him to not look angry because he knows Taco will jump to the wrong conclusion about that. People often do. So Magnus takes a deep breath. That, that's not why I jumped. What then? What are you? Oh, Taco snaps his fingers, eyes lighting up and continues with false cheer. Oh, I get it. Gosh, thanks so much for saving my life. Please, please let me follow you around until I can return the favor. And in the meantime, I'll just shower you with gifts and any money that comes my way. His expression flickers back into a glare. Well, forget it. I didn't ask for your help, so, you know, thanks, but I don't owe you anything. Agreed. Magnus says, figuring a one-word response is the best he can hope to interject at this point. I mean, it's not look like I could have... What? You don't owe me anything, Magnus says quickly, taking advantage of his lapse. You're my friend, and you were in trouble, and protecting that button clearly wasn't working. Uh, Really sorry about that, by the way. And I couldn't just stand there and do nothing. Taco is staring at him. He doesn't quite slump, just holds himself at different angles as the indignation slinks out of his posture to be replaced by bewilderment. I'm your what? (laughs) Magnus makes an uncertain journey back through what he thinks he's just said. A friend? I mean, I think we could be, if we're not yet. He tries for a winning smile. Taco's entire face contorts into an expression of sheer horrified disbelief. 
okay, no, I take it back. You have to let me repay you. Somehow. Anything. I don't do this. You don't do friendship? Yes. No, 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 I don't. Emotional attachment. No, I don't. With a well-exercised skill, Magnus does not glance down at the very old knife in his hand, and he does not let his thoughts wander to the past, and he does not sigh. He just nods and says, I can understand that. Slowly, Taco exhales, pulls out the chair from across from Magnus, and sits, drumming his fingers on the table. So, what do you want? Magnus contemplates this. Well, no dogs on the moon, he says glumly. What? Just thinking out loud. Dude, no, I could totally magic you up a dog, my man. Imagine the endless hilarity of trying to keep that a secret from the director. And Robbie. Taco scoffs. Oh yeah, Robbie's gonna be the one to narc on someone else about a dog. It might be fun, Magnus says, daring to let a hypothetical four-legged and floppy-eared shape start to form in his mind's eye. A secret dog. Taco sits up straighter, sharper. No, that's starting to sound like a friendship thing, he says accusatory. Something else? The dog shape poofs back into his idle imagination. Oh well, Magnus can't stomach the thought of anything happening to the real thing anyways. He stares at the block of wood between them on the table and tries to think. Uh, he's at hazards. Would you mind switching bunks? The drumming of Taco's fingers on the table stops so abruptly, it's almost more startling than a sudden loud noise would have been. Switch bunks. Yeah, Magnus shrugs sheepish. I kind of wanted a bottom bunk, but you and Merle took them pretty fast and I figure it didn't really matter. Taco is staring again. We took them, he says slowly, and keeps staring like he's waiting for Magnus to get something. Magnus blinks at him in a way that he hopes conveys the message, yeah, you'll be waiting a while on that one, buddy. Yes? Taco seems to give up, shakes his head. You saved my life. Yes? And in return, you want to switch bunks. Magnus rolls his eyes. Look, if you don't want to, you are the weirdest person I have ever met. Yes, yes, we can. We can do that. Great, thanks. So, problem solved. Uh, two problems. A surprisingly productive day. Now what? Actually, Magnus reaches into his bag. Want to cheat each other at cards and not talk about our pasts? <laughs> oh, hell yes. This has so far been one of the most interesting and stressful weeks of Taco's life, and his life already had multiple doozies to show off in both of those departments. He wants to get out of here. Not permanently, he doesn't want to run, and isn't that a novelty in itself? No, he just wants to do something, find a relic, fuck something up, maybe do whatever the opposite is of glassing an entire city. But no, they're still just here, on this fake moon, which is full of fascinating nooks and crannies and peoples and creatures and books that he absolutely cannot focus on because someone, please, just let him out of here. He gets back to the tiny group lodgings at what he only realizes is a ridiculous hour once he's already slamming the door open. He manages to catch it before it can hit the wall, briefly contemplates his options, and stalks into the sleeping quarters. It's not that he needs to sleep, but it's always an option. 
And right now, it's looking like the best option of all because it involves at least a 50-50 shot at his brain shutting the fuck up about everything for a while. True, it's an equal chance he'll wake up screaming, but he thinks he's exhausted enough just to bypass dreams completely. Like, like he's reasonably sure? And well, he hasn't been able to focus properly on his meditation the past few days, so maybe he does need it. For the sake of his spell slots, if nothing else... At least the night terrors do. At least if the night terrors do strike, he won't be able to hurt anyone like this. He clambers up to the top bunk, collapses face down, and swears into the thin pillow when his jaw collides with something underneath it. He fishes the thing out and is about to hurl it at the wall when the fact of what it is actually starts to register. It's a big dog, <laughs> a tiny wooden big dog, Aww. unpainted. One pointy ear flopped goofily over the top of its head, mouth open in a pant, sturdily connected tail positioned in a way that somehow manages to suggest wagging. He gapes at it. And before he can think better of suddenly waking their strongest party member from a deep sleep, he swings himself halfway off the bunk and does just that, clings to his mattress frame with one hand and knocks the other against the side of Magnus's bunk. Magnus waits for the start and what Taco belatedly recognizes as a lucky break doesn't murder him. Taco waves the carving at him and hisses under his breath in Elvish, which I will read in English. Oh, good. Secret dog. Magnus blinks and then squints. And then Taco remembers. Human. Darkness. Right. Secret dog. Magnus confirms a moment later, also in Elvish, yawning but smug. Taco rolls his eyes and hoists himself back up into bed. Weird, he mutters. <laughs> You're welcome, comes the quiet response. Why? Taco demands, already shoving the thing under his pillow. I like making things for people. Great. Wonderful. Taco bites his tongue to keep from saying what he's thinking. Now I owe you again. I, I didn't ask for this. You're not being kind. Swallows the words and shuts his eyes and tells himself very firmly to go to sleep. Except he forgets sometimes that sleep isn't actually any easier to achieve than a workable meditative state. He sighs, opens his eyes, and reluctantly grants his brain temporary permission to think about whatever the hell it wants, so long as it's done in about five minutes. Y you recognize this. You recognize this, his brain thinks, accuses. Taco lies perfectly still and waits to see what thought forms next. He knows better than to try anything deliberate. You fall in with people who don't mind you being there, maybe even enjoy your company, and then one day you piss them all off or you fuck something up and they're back on the super cool moon base and you're in a crater of black glass and everyone's dead and it's all your... And then Taco does think deliberately. He jumped into an ogre fight. His brain pauses, scrambles, and comes up with nothing. Well, it admits, yeah, that's a new one. Taco stares up at the ceiling for a bit, letting his thoughts chase themselves in circles until they burn out. Then he shuts his eyes, mutters, super weird, <laughs> and rolls over and into a dreamless sleep. Anyways, he actually won the card game, so it's fine to keep the dog. The end. Oh, that was a sweet little story. I know. And I got to bust out my wicked taco. Yes, your taco voice is my favorite. I suppose that means it's my turn. Get it! All right. Don't stop. Get it. Get it. So I, ha I'm there's one that I'm not gonna read, but I wanted to read, my, m mostly because of the name, because 
I'm just going to tell you about it, that it's a fan fiction where Angus wants to find his real parents. Come to find out that Barry Blue Jeans is his dad. And... Oh my God! Yeah, what? and the the name of the and the name of the story is Angus Jorts McDonald, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's great and I love it, but I couldn't. It wasn't the one I wanted to read, so I just had to tell you about it. Uh-huh. Um, the one I oh also if someone's trying to look up mine, I realized I didn't say the name of it, but it is called "Starting to Sound Like a Friendship Thing." So it's based off that one quote. Anyways, as you were. The one I decided to read is called Now You See It, and it's by Owlaholic68. So, here we go. Also about Angus. (laughs) (laughs) Angus MacDonald is six years old when he first sees it, his first vision. Fandolin is a medium-sized town, rustic but well-made, a thriving marketplace, several comfortable inns, all framed by the Sword Mountain Range to the south. Angus MacDonald is riding on the back of a cart on his way to Neverwinter. He rubs his eyes, yawning, and blinks. Fandolin is gone, and its place is a black circle of glass. He blinks, and the town is back, as if nothing had happened. Angus blinks again, shaking his head a little, confused. There's a tickle in the back of his head, something half-remembered and mostly forgotten. Then it's gone. He forgets about it, until it happens again. His parents live in Goldcliff, and he visits them every month, taking the train with his grandpa. They're walking past the large bank in the center of town, weaving through crowds to sit by the edge of a shallow pool. His grandpa goes off to fetch them some ice cream since Angus is seven years old and really likes ice cream, especially the soft gold cliff variety. The sun is sparkling off the water, glittering flecks of light from the gaudy bank behind him, sending sparks of light through the pool. Angus takes off his glasses, wipes them on a plain white handkerchief embroidered with the initials AM and puts them back on. There's a flash of light that blinds him just for a second, then it's clear again. There's a tree in the center of the pool where there wasn't before. Light pink froths of petals flying in his face. Angus stands. He doesn't look away, afraid that his vision, if that's what it really is, will disappear if he does. He walks forward, unconcerned with the water that's soaking the hem of his pants and his shoes and his nice socks, wading through the pool towards the tree. There's three people standing around it, but he doesn't bother with them, focusing instead on the tree. It looks strange, almost as if there are two people inside of it. Angus, what are you doing? His grandpa's voice snaps him out of it. The old man is standing on the edge of the pool, two ice cream cones in his hands. I'm sorry, he calls out, wading back to solid ground, his clothing wet and heavy. I don't know what happened, sir. I thought I saw... He looks back and sees no tree, no other people in the water. I thought I saw something. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry, sir. His grandpa sighs and hands him an ice cream cone. Well... They're they're, they're riding Angus so accurately. (laughs) Well, just don't do it again. The currents can get pretty strong in the middle of the in the middle of the river. Now, come on, there's someone we need to go see. He looks over his shoulder once again as they walk away, but nothing's there. Angus MacDonald is eight years old when he sees a man fall out of the sky. He won't stop thinking about it, and eventually he tells someone, and then they tell someone else, and a week later he finds himself in a dim room with dusty magical tomes and shelves of potions around him. Look in this bowl. An old man? Woman? instructs him, pushing a bowl of water into his hands. He looks down dutifully. The best seer in all of Rockport, according to the rumors, and the MacDonald family wanted nothing but, but, but the best for their son. 
Of course, they really just wanted him to stop bothering them with his imaginary visions. Now what do you see? Me, he whispers. His own reflection stares back up at him, looking slightly disappointed. Just me. Was I supposed to see something special? No, that was just to make sure you weren't lying, they say, taking the bowl from him, chuckling a bit under their breath. Can never be too sure. Now tell me about these visions. Are they of the past or the future? He shrugs. Both, maybe? I can't really tell. They push a mirror into his hands. Okay, that's normal. Tell me what you see in this mirror, please. The moon, the stillwater sea, a thunderstorm. Something flying through the sky, elegant and silver. A patch of grass somewhere turning gray, withering and shriveling up. A sick something that swirls around him. Whoa there, slow down, the seer says, taking the mirror from him. Angus holds his head. You have a wealth of untapped magic, my boy. You see visions of the past and the future. Use this information wisely. You will be a great seer one day. Do not be afraid of your gift. Trust it. Without any further ado, they kick him out of their hut and into the bright Rockport day. He stumbles before catching himself on a fence post. He blinks rapidly to clear his vision, then sighs. His grandpa was waiting for him at the train station. He rubs his eyes before starting on his way. He might as well learn to deal with this. Maybe it'll even come in useful one day. All he can do is hope. The train back to Neverwinter is smooth, the hours being eaten up as they pass through the mountains, then wavy plains of wheat, then more mountains. Angus is reading a book, a new series called Caleb Cleveland Kid Cop. It's wonderful so far, the mystery keeping him on edge, or it had been until he solved the murder halfway through. He taps his fingers on the table, then stops himself. He folds his hands on his lap. There are only a few other passengers on this train. Angus looks to his right at the empty booths across the aisle. Except, they're not empty. With a dizzying flash, he sees himself sitting there, looking older, though only by a few years. I can explain everything if you come with me to my sleeper car, Angus is saying, looking up at the three men. Well, he's looking up at two of them and slightly down at the other. All three of them have their backs to him. <laughs> so he can't see their faces. There might be prying eyes and listening ears. Angus, in real life, slowly stands and follows his vision self down the corridor of, this tr of the train. He can't tell if it's the same train or if it just looks like it. He quickly tries to analyze his own appearance. Fancy outfit blue tweed, with a smart-looking dark blue cap over his curls. Not something he owns, so definitely in the future. Future him also has a small blue book, a small packet of what looks like tools, and a magnifying glass. Vision Angus has a wonderfully luxurious sleeper car, which seems a bit odd since he is clearly still young. My name is Angus MacDonald, that part you already know. This is so disorienting, listening to his own voice, watching himself talk. Uh... I am, and I'm not being braggy because I, my grandpa says not to do that, but I'm the world's greatest detective. A detective? This must be the future. Angus is a detective. The train jolts and Angus stumbles, one hand on the wall of the car to stay upright. The vision disappears between one blink and the next, like a soap bubble popping. He frowns. What did that one even mean? But Angus is going to be a detective one day. The world's greatest detective. He might as well start here. The end. Oh my god, I love it! I know, it's so good! I love it. It gives him, like, superpowers! I know! He's magic. He has visions. Well, not only that, that also explains, like, how this young boy is the world's greatest detective. It's like, psych. Yeah, exactly! Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, damn! That one was good! I really enjoyed that one. 
But now, Brenna, it's time to get into it. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody that they can get into our Patreon. <laughs> Over at Patreon. <laughs> Patreon. There's a party in our Patreon, and you can join over at patreon.com slash a load of BS. We appreciate it. You get shouted out on a load of BS every single week if you do, ladies and gentlemen, and you'd be supporting all the BS network programs. So not just fun fiction, but also a load of BS, fight boys, and opposite attractions. And it's with your support that we can keep making more shows and more fantastic things. But now time, it's time, Brenna, to get into my fan fiction for the week, which is going to be a little bit different, because I thought with mine, I mean, I, I think I think I could have explored, like, the characters themselves, but, like, one of my favorite things that Griffin started doing was, it's the same problem I had when I played D&D for Quizzle Corp, or my pseudo D&D game, and it's the fact that during these first arcs and during the beginning, no one really gives a shit about what they're doing. So they're like, yeah, we'll destroy the whole city of Phandalin. Oh yeah, we'll do this. And they don't really think about what? The repercussions. The repercussions. And so I wanted to explore those repercussions with mine. Uh, And so let's just get it going. Uh, Our story begins in the beautiful city of Phandalin. As we look over the city, we see people happily moving in and out of various buildings as shops begin to open, the sun peeking over the horizon. We continue our trek to a small farm just outside of the city known as the Rosenthorn Farms. Now we slowly make our way up the staircase of the Rosenthorn Homestead to see a young girl not 12 years old in her bed. Her name? Sydney Rosenthorn, the only child of Ben and Cassidy Rosenthorn, and who will be played today by Miss Brenna Clark. What? <laughs> Brenna, if you will go to our Facebook chat, I will have sent you a character sheet. It's time to get rolling, my girl. We're oh, playing. Snap. Oh, yeah. It's not. Okay. I will say, if anybody out there, like, is a huge D&D nerd, which you very well may be, I will let you know right now, this is going to be a very on-the-rails experience. Um, but I wanted to tell a story, and I wanted to tell it in the world of D&D. And Sydney is a halfling wizard, and uh, the, all of the Rosenthorns are halfling wizards. They're very wise people, and they are known for cruelty-free farming. And I, I don't mean that in the marketing sense of cruelty-free, where they're just like, our chickens get to see light five times a day. I mean, actually cruelty-free. The owners are no, they're great wizards, and they use their spells for farming, but the one spell they use mostly is known as True Polymorph. And they use this ability to transform into various animals that they use to till the farm, turning into massive oxen to pull the tiller through the wheat, horses to pull the cart into town. And Cassidy, your mother, has even been known to turn into a chicken just to lay eggs. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, the day begins and you rush off to the school, which is a place that you more go out of responsibility, not from want. Uh, students often mock you for being a simple farm girl. They call you dirty and poor, and they call you chicken, which is not a cowardice Marty McFly thing. It is a literal mocking of you for being a chicken. Um, 
and they call your parents these horrifying beasts. Um, but unfortunately, the teachers don't help you out much either, and they're equally disapproving of you and your family's lifestyle. Of course. Um, and of course, you've always been a big fan of reading. You're a voracious reader, but you can never exactly read what they want. It's that same vibe that everyone gets, which is you've told me to read this, so now I don't care about it anymore. Right. So you're not very, you don't make good grades because of that. And so you go to the first class of the day, which is a spell cl class, and you walk in and you see other students levitating and throwing fireballs at a large target. And coming from a family of great wizards, you kind of were expected to do excessively well in this class, but you could barely even get a fireball going at this point. And so the bell rings as the teacher takes his place in front of the class, looking at all of you, and even gives you like a small sympathetic smile. <laughs> And then he starts speaking. All right, everyone sit down, sit down. Well, Miss Rosenthorn, I believe you may actually have an advantage in today's class, as we are going to be learning a, a very advanced spell for our age. But of course, we are learning true polymorph. And in response to that, the students don't get excited about learning a new spell. They start to whisper and laugh as they mock your fa family heritage as you hide into your jacket. And so the teacher goes, all right, everyone, calm down, calm down. Now, I want you to take one of these cards from within this hat. And on this card will be an animal. And this animal will, uh, this animal will of course, be what you learn to polymorph into today. And so uh, he goes in and he starts passing out these different notes to everybody. And then he walks up to you and pats you on the shoulder with a smile. And he sighs and there's only one card left. And you pull it out and it has one simple word on it. Chicken. What do you do? Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm in class. I guess I'm going to do it. <laughs> All right, uh, if you could please roll plus Arcana for me. Oh, snap. This is going to be... Okay. Oh! <laughs> it's a crit miss. Oh, no! Britta! <laughs> oh, this is the best thing that could have happened to me. Oh, no. Okay. So, um... I, I think on just like a normal bad save, you would have cast it on yourself and nothing would have happened, which the students would have mocked you for anyways. Instead, this time, I think it doesn't work externally, but you have somehow began to hypnotize yourself oh, and now no. you are walking around still human form, but acting like a chicken. So you are walking around like with your arms in just like... <laughs> And so now you're walking around and like the students are all laughing until finally the teacher pulls out his wand and removes it. And you kind of find yourself on top of his desk with your arm, like your finger, your thumbs are in your armpits as you're, ha as you're making like these chicken noises and you have everyone laughing around you and it's absolutely horrifying. But could you please roll a perception check for me? Great. Um, Perception. Let's see. Well, that's an eight plus one, so a nine. Okay. Um, I, I think I, I I don't know if you look directly at this person, but you notice one person in the back who does not seem to be laughing. There's sort of a a, a larger 
child and they're just kind of staring at you sadly. You've never really noticed them before. They've been sitting behind you and you don't really look at the class a lot, but you see this one kid and he's more sympathetic to your cause. But like I said, this is not something you specifically notice to be a big deal. It's just something you see out of the corner of your eye. Um, So uh, after the end of the school day, the school's pouring out and you start walking towards home, I would assume. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, before that, you hear, Hey, Rosenthorn! No, oh, great. What's, how you doing, chicken? And then up walks, um, I didn't give this guy a name, but I think I'm just going to call him like Johnny, Johnny piece of shit. Sure. So Johnny piece of, sh- Johnny piece of shit and his uh, two friends walks up to you. And um, he's just like, I sure loved your show earlier today. I mean, I I think I would have preferred, honestly, if you hadn't just pretended to be a chicken. I, we all know you're bad at what you do. You don't have to fake it for everybody. Debbie, do you have a reply or are you just kind of staring down? I, I'm not going to deem this butthole with a response. Okay. Uh, well, then after that, he's now mad. He's like, Hey, and he shoves you back. He goes, you ain't going to talk. You ain't going to talk chicken. You certainly seem to be barking a lot earlier today. And then like his two friends behind him are like, yeah, he's doing some noises. (laughs) (laughs) And they start laughing back and forth. Uh, Do you say anything else now? Um, I don't want to. Yes, but hold on. I want to. uh... Oh, can I cast a spell? Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think I want to cast, um, Minor Illusion. And, uh, uh, which says, I create a sound or an image of an object within range that lasts for the duration. The illusion also ends if you dismiss it as an action or cast the spell again. And I think... Okay. Um, it says, if you create a sound, its volume can be... Rain, can range from a whisper to a scream. It can be your voice, someone else's voice, blah, 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 blah. Well, I think that uh-huh. I want it to be like just this really, I'm trying to think what's the scariest noise I can think of. Ooh, ooh, like, uh-huh. um, ah, I don't know, like a really loud, let's do a roar, like a scary lion's roar. All right, um, I like it. I'm going to want you to roll. I, I, I would assume this would be an intimidation play, so could you also roll plus intimidation yes, for me? <laughs> Where is... Oh, there it is. Plus three, not bad. Oh, you know what? 17 plus three, that's a 20. <laughs> oh, no! Okay, um, I think... Let me see. Jesus. Um, I think you scare off one of them. One of them is just like, oh my god! <laughs> It's a desert lion or something. It's supposed to be lions <laughs> at school. They've been lions for years. And then he runs away. And so let me get rid of him real quick. And then, but then all of a sudden you actually hear a louder roar coming from behind you. And you turn around and you actually see a real lion sitting oh. there. And yeah exactly and you turn back and uh johnny is just like he has his wand out and he's just like yeah that's a pretty cool spell mine's a little bit better though 
And then his friend is just like, hey, I got a spell for you. And then his hands immediately catch on fire as he sets to do battle with oh, you. As, uh, so if you could, let's roll initiative, ladies Great. and gentlemen. Okay. Oh, that's not, uh, <laughs> let's see. Okay. Yeah, that's a three. That's a yeah. three? Okay, let's see. Well, that's a 14 for uh, Johnny, and then his friend uh, got an eight. So, but first, I think Johnny is actually going to pull out from his backpack. He's like, I don't need this wand anymore, tosses the wand away, and he pulls out this massive baseball bat. He's just like, I, I think this is all I need. And let's see, let me roll plus... Oh no! Oh, Johnny, my boy. Uh, he definitely just rolled a four versus your armor class. Uh, my AC is a thirteen. Oh, it's yeah, thirteen. So. It's thirteen, my girl. He. Uh, okay, so I think. Okay, um, Johnny rushes you with this bat, but he's. He's like he said, he's a 12 year old and he doesn't expect you to move. He thinks you're just fully intimidated because there is, in fact, a, a, a fake lion behind you. And so he like basically like an, uh, a woodsman trying to chop a block of wood in half rushes at you with it and takes it down. But you dodge out of the way at the last minute. And now it's your turn. Um. Oh, OK. <laughs> Well, hold on. What are you? What, what are you doing? What, I, yeah, is that? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I want to know. Are you going to do a spell well, against one of them? You do have yeah. magic missile and burning hands, or of, of course, you have your weapon, which is just a fucking slingshot. That's what I was going to do was cast magic <laughs> missile, but uh, I rolled a two. Well, actually, I've, I'm fairly sure magic missile does not require magic missile. I don't think you actually have to oh, roll okay. for it. Um. So yeah. Uh, Brenna creates, or I'm sorry, Sydney creates three glowing darts of magical force. Each dart hits a creature. Are you going all in on one of them, our boys? Or are you gonna do? I want to. Are you gonna? I want to spread it? it, but I'm. I'm not like. This is non-lethal damage, right? Sure, okay. dog. It's fine. All right. Um, a dart deals one d four plus one force of damage. Um, okay, so you're gonna. Do you have someone you want to focus on, or are you going to just... Probably Johnny Piece of Shit. Okay, so Johnny Piece of Shit. All right, roll a, a d4. Oh, gosh. For your, two for your two attacks on Johnny Piece of Shit. Okay. Two. Okay. Three. All right, and then roll one for uh, other guy. Um, or unless you want to keep attacking Johnny Piece of no, Shit. No, I want to hit the other guy, too. A four. Four, okay. Whew! I thought this battle was going to go a lot different. Okay. Um, so now other guy, um, I, I picked a, I picked a, a race that does not have any spells. So I guess he also is just like, I'm not going to use my cool flaming hands. I'm going to use my baseball bat as well. So he pulls out a baseball bat and I guess, I mean, the, he, he rushes you. He tries to go for another attack. Let's see if this one lands. Oh no, Brenna, that's an eight. So now this <laughs> this dude also rushes you. <laughs> fucking okay. This dude rushes you, and then 
uh, basically it's the exact same thing, except I think he might trip and actually land on top of Johnny. And so now they're both kind of stuck there okay. together. I foresaw this battle going a lot differently. I'm kicking ass. I know. Damn it. <laughs> All right. And then uh, top of the order goes back to Johnny. So um, I think at this point, Johnny, since I'm going to assume that all of your spells that you've learned, I think Johnny has learned as well. Probably. I, it was, yeah. So I'm going to say that Johnny actually casts. Uh, okay. Yeah. Johnny goes, um, I like that missile, but I got some a little bit, a little bit harder. And then he casts burning hands. Uh, as he holds his hands with thumbs t- touching and fingers spread, a thin sheet of flames shoots forth from his outstretched fingertips. Each creature in a 15-foot cone in front of him must make a dexterity saving throw. A creature takes three takes three D6 fire damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. So roll uh, dexterity. Okay. <laughs> That's a oh, two. No. Okay, Brenna, (laughs) you take 3d6 fire damage. Great. Oh, no, I feel really bad. I didn't want it to go down like this. Yeah, I'm going to be dead. Okay, that's a one. No, you may be good. A three, so that's four. Uh Uh-huh. And a one again. Okay. I got two hit points. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay, but it's now back to your turn. Oh, um... Well, if he wants to play with fire, then I think I will return with fire. Oh, no. Are you also casting Burning Hands? Yes. Oh, this is a real abracafuck-you moment. Okay. Um, And also, I I think since they're both right next to each other, and this is kind of an AoE, um, it should be... We should be fine. Uh, Fun fact, these boys... Real weak. Like, they have no bonus stats or anything. So, let's see. Come on, baby. We've had shitty rolls here on Team Shithead. Yep. That is a five. Shitting hell. Okay. Hold on. That one fell off my desk. Okay. Okay, there we go. That's a 19. Okay. Now roll your three. Your three uh, D6. My D6. That's a two. Okay. That's a six. Shitting oh, hell, Brenna. That one fell off, sorry. That's a four, so 11. Right? No, 12, sorry. Okay. Um. Well, firstly, they're definitely both dead. Not um, dead. Non-lethal damage. It's <laughs> not lethal. I just set them on fire. It's no, fine. Friendly fire. That's a thing. Um. Okay, so yeah, they're both down, and you think you're fine, when suddenly from behind you, you feel- Hold on, let me make sure this this roll works, and this is just me being a dick. Oh, he rolls an 18, and who rolls it? Oh, that's right, it's the fucking lion who <laughs> leaps on you. Take it! <laughs> the lion assaults you, and he- claws at your back let's see adds plus five to hit it's uh 
1d6 plus 3 slashing damage. So now you are taking... Essentially now, if the principal walked out, he would see three... (laughs) Well, he'd see one child running away from a lion, a lion, and then three students nearly dead on the floor. They're just a little crispy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, Once again, like I said, this is specifically on rails, and I needed you to get your ass handed to you, and I didn't expect you to be like, oh, by the way, there's a lion. (laughs) Um, And so now you're on the ground, and the lion's kind of like growling after you, and you can look over and see that Johnny Shithead has his wand as he's kind of weakened and is controlling the lion. Then all of a sudden, a kid runs up and kicks it out of his hand and the lion immediately has disappeared yes and you look up and it is that uh the kid from class who wasn't laughing at you it was the only person who kind of gave you any respect in that class and uh, i'm doing this because this person asked me or asked on Twitter to be put into a book, but I'll put him into a story, into a D&D campaign instead. And it is, in fact, a man named Garen. Aww. <laughs> uh-huh. And so Garen steps in and quickly shoes everyone off with a fireball. I, well, uh, that was my original plan, but now that I know you set these motherfuckers on fire, I think he's just, like, quickly walks over to you, and it's just like, hey, are you all right? Yeah, I am now. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's the sweetest shit. Okay. And so he's just like, here, come on. You're, wait a minute. You're one of the Rosenthorns, aren't you? Yeah, that's me. Uh, That's amazing. I I used to look at you guys' farm all the time. I always wanted to learn how to do polymorph like you guys. It's, It's amazing. In fact, I mean, I know you, it didn't work out too well for you, but I'm really happy you distracted the class earlier. I wasn't exactly able to do polymorph that well. Do you, do you think your family could teach me? Who put you up to this? What are you talking about? I'm, I, I just really love your family. I've loved my family. We buy strawberries from you guys and eggs and all these amazing things. And I just want to be able to do the things you do. What, how do I know that I can trust you? I mean, you don't have to. What are you talking? I'm not trying to like spy on you guys or anything. I just re- want to learn. I want to. I'm a 12 year old boy. I'm not a <laughs> Russian spy. Uh, here, just at, at least let me take you home. Okay, fine, but only because I've got two health. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have less because that lion fucked you up. Yeah, like- Actually, no, no. I, I think Garen says that. Garen's like, actually, I think you've got a lot less. That go- lion real fucked your shit up, didn't it? I'm real bloody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, Garen helps you go home, and you walk in the door, and you, like you said, you're bloodied. Like, the boys who were set on fire, you, like, that was a, the, the setting them on fire was a controlled attack. I think the lion was almost completely out of, he was casting a spell that was out of his skill level, and it got out of control, and it nearly killed you. So you were bloodied, and uh, your mother who's in Cassidy. Is that what I named her? Yes. Yeah. Cassidy. She brings you into the kitchen to start cleaning up your wounds while Garen in the living room is like, I was about to say hello, sir, but then our he's not Angus. Uh, he, he explains just like, yeah, fucking lion attacked her. 
And so then your mother is in the ba- is in the kitchen with you. And I guess this is you guys trying to explain what happened. And so she's just like, well, all right, sweetie, what, what, what happened? Well, there are these boys who were being mean to me and I handed them their asses. Well, I mean, you know, that's not the kind of people we are. We, we're farmers. We're not here for battle. I mean, I understand they were being mean to you, but that don't mean you had to fight. What else was I supposed to do? I, I mean, run away, f- cast shield on yourself or something. Find some way out of it. We are a peaceful people, Brenna. Do you realize that all the kids at school call me chicken? And if I run away, that's just going to give them more reason to do so. Well, did I call you Brenna earlier? I'm sorry. You did. Uh, <laughs> well, Sydney, I understand that, but it's always been that way for our family. It's always been difficult, but it's what we do. We persevere. It's it's how we get through it. And in all honesty, I I think you you are the pinnacle of this family's work, and we cannot let you have. We can't let things go wrong. You or what's supposed to carry this farm into the next world. At which point your father, who is, I guess, shooed Garen away, walks in. He's just like, yeah, like I always told you. Two halflings make a hole, am I right? And then that's just like a funny little joke he likes to do because <laughs> you're all halflings. And uh, he then he just goes, but actually, I, I think I got something that's going to make you feel a lot better about getting attacked by a lion and all that. At which point he walks over to you and he pulls out three tickets to, um, I, I had written down fantasy Les Miserables, but I, what play do you think Sydney or, or movie or whatever, what do you think she would always have wanted to see? Mm, I think that she would want to go see the Swan Lake with the dogs in it. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Swan Lake, but with dogs yes, in it? Yes, there's, there's the Swan Lake with dogs in it. Okay, uh, so he pulls out two tickets to Dog Lake, <laughs> and, and your family has never been to a theater before. Like, you guys, that is not your steez. And so you freak out. You're just like, oh my god. And then you pull out your wand and you immediately cast disguise on yourself to make you look what like what you think a theater goer would look Aww. like. So, uh, what what what's your disguise? Well, uh, a really nice like updo <laughs> with okay. a sparkly dress and probably something like some like fantasy. Angelina Jolie or something. <laughs> you look like fantasy Angelina. Okay. Yes. Okay, so you're fantasy Angelina, but I think your face is the same. Yeah. Like I, I yeah, I don't think you changed your face. It's just like you look decked out. And so you go outside with mom and pop, and your father immediately polymorphs into a giant majestic horse. Oh. Like this beautiful, like white steed. And your mother puts you on top of the horse and then transforms into a dove. 
as you go in town to see the play. It's essentially, it, it, this is their faster way of getting around. There's no fantasy cars or anything, and you guys couldn't afford a cart. So instead, your dad turns into a horse, you ride your dad into town, which is a weird sentence, yes. and your mother flies. Um, and so as you go into the play, all the town fo- it's it's basically like an extension of school, except instead of them glaring at you, they're glaring at you and your parents. Um, because as you get up closer, your dad transforms back into a person, but he's got like a beautiful suit on and your mother has like, it's excessively extravagant to a point where the people who are looking at you are realizing there's no way you could have afforded it. And so they're kind of laughing as, um, they see like small flickers as the outfit disappears because like you're, it's, it's a struggle to keep the disguise up for a very long time. Um, but it doesn't really seem to bother you as a character because you're getting to go see dog lake yeah and you're really you're really pumped about it and so you guys go see dog lake um i think it was it was a fantastic show really good the dogs did stunts and it was really nice (laughs) there was sick dog stunts sweet flips sweet dog flips and then after the show you and your parents decide to walk around town around the theater before you guys head back uh, your dad adjusts his arcane bow tie and you pass into an alleyway near the theater when suddenly two elves approach you, a male and a female. The male mm. has a long tabard sporting a large spider and he smiles as your father gets between you and your mother. The male asks where to find the mines as your father panics, knowing what's within the mines. Because I think, I, I think the the fire fire gauntlet uh i think that's something everyone knows about it's just a matter of like we don't go there we don't talk about it and so your father is just like how do you know about that and you're not about to batman me are you shut up scotty it's so, <laughs> it's so your uh your dad just like well hold on look look here you can't go there what lurks within there is dangerous and he's the man responds just well i understand that but this is very important what i have to do you don't understand i've worked for and then static and we have no idea what he's saying um at which point the female elf walks forward and goes honey you're doing you're doing the static thing again we need you to talk more clearly and he goes i'm sorry i'm sorry i just need to know where the mine is and i need you to make a dexterity saving throw. Shoot. Okay. What is happening? A nine. A nine? Uh, well, unfortunately, that means uh, the man, the male elf, grabs you and immediately puts his wand to your throat. Or not to your throat, okay. like to your head. And your parents immediately panic. And your father is immediately like, wave at, wave at cave. It's on the other side of town. It's not, it's so easy to find. Like he gives the exact directions of how to get to wave Echo cave. Damn it, dad. At which point, uh, the black spider, as he is eventually known, or magic Brian immediately releases you and throws you to the ground. But the female elf almost seems shaken. Like as if this is something she had never seen him done before. But unfortunately, even after releasing you, even after getting the information, he charges up his staff for a fireball as your parents turn into birds to try to escape. You try to... Now I need you to make an arcana roll. Oh god, okay. 
damn it. What? <laughs> Four plus two is six. Okay, I, I think in this moment, you try your best to cast polymorph on yourself and your arm like turns into a wing but the rest of you is still like uh your the rest of you is still like rushing forward on your feet and mag- magic brian is just staring at you and is pointing his staff right at you when suddenly your father swoops in and you know how an Ant-Man, he goes from like being really little then really big and it helps his momentum take people down? He does yeah. that. He does that but going from a bird to a human and he tackles him to the ground as your mother comes back and tries to pull you up off the ground. And Magic Brian laughs as he sees your mother and father standing back to back and then he laughs and he says, Ah, oh, yes. Tell me, what was that old saying about two birds? <gasps> Scotty, no. And he laughs maniacally as he unleashes Scorching Ray, which, by the way, I know Magic Brian in the actual game can't cast Magic Scorching Ray. It's for the story. Fuck you. And then he instantly vaporizes both of your parents. Sending you are them, the worst. Sending them falling to the ground. He slowly offers you your his hand to lift you up as he laughs quietly. Bitch, no! And as you I don't do, take it. I don't take it. You push him away, and he just laughs at this again. As he shoves you away, you notice on his hand, his left hand, a small metal bracer, which contains two intersecting triang- triangles. Um... And you're now just staring into the puddle on the ground where your parents are laying. And you actually see um, a dirtied feather that was from your father. And you find one from your mother. And you hold them close. Um, Meanwhile, the female elf is screaming at Brian. What are you doing? This is not why we are here. You don't understand. This is not what kind of person you are. This mission, this has changed you more than anything in the entire world. And I cannot, I cannot stand by your side again. I'm sorry. And she runs away in disgust as he laughs. And he pulls from his pocket a small vial containing a black widow spider, Mm. which he throws on the ground and says, fine, I get to keep the spiders though. And then he casts un- Enlarge Reduce on this small spider, causing it to become massive. You stare up in horror as this spider crawls over you, towering above the buildings, headed straight for Wave Echo Cave. The female elf looks at you solemnly, like, terrified, and she says, It would probably be best if you got out of here. Where do you go? Well, <laughs> I mean, my parents are dead. Where do I go? I mean, I have nowhere to go. I might as well just... I mean, is she gonna... I... If she's gonna, like, give him some comeuppance, then I want to help. Um, I, that, that... I will say, you don't know... He knows the way to wave Echo Cave... I don't think you know how to get there. And I think you also would not be able to do much of anything. Then I guess Uh, I'm going to run my tail home. Okay. Uh, You watch in... You run home and you basically... uh, You run into your house and 
just start I mean what what do you do? Do you do anything? Do you uh collapse on the floor, I'm pretty sure. In okay. sorrow. You collapse on the floor in sorrow and you actually you feel your disguised self fade away and the wounds open back up. You had disguised the wounds, but now they are opening back up, and so now you're covered in sweat and tears and blood as you cry on your floor and cry until you pass out. You literally pass out from exhaustion. And then you wake up a few hours later, and you walk outside, and you stare into the middle of the city, because I'm also going to say the farm was on a hillside, so you can actually look down on the city and you look down and you see this flaming shape in the center of the town and you see it start to glow brighter and brighter and brighter and you have to watch in horror as the as the city that you grew up in is suddenly eviscerated turned to black glass you watch as everyone inside that flame dies in an attack that you can only assume in this moment was started by the man with the metal bracer You think about how earlier in that day, you jokingly talked about wishing your school was would blow up, and now you're forced to deal with the reality of that statement. A small smile grows as you realize that you don't have to deal with any of those bullies anymore, you don't have to deal with those teachers, but that smile is immediately wiped away as as you realize that also means you won't see Garen anymore. Damn it. You won't... You won't see your parents. You won't see anyone. And so you quickly grab a massive bag of supplies from within the house and begin to rush out of town with limited weaponry from your parents and food on your back. And after a few hours of walking, you sit beside a large tree and sigh as you pull an apple out of your bag and take a big bite of it. As you place the bag back over your shoulder, something falls out to the ground. A small wooden instrument that tapers up to a small point. It's your wand. You've had it since you were a child, or even more of a child. You remember getting it for Christmas one year. You remember the joy that rang through your hearts. It's essentially, it's like a child today getting a cell phone. It's like a rite of passage. And you remember smiling and embracing your parents as you look down at that wand. And you think about the elven wizard that just destroyed your childhood, the magic that had destroyed your home. And you stare down at the wand and suddenly snap it over your knee and toss it to the ground, vying to never participate in magic ever again. As you turn back to face the path ahead of you, you swear to not rest until you've killed each and every person wearing one of those metal bracers. The end! Boom goes the dynamite! Oh my gosh, why do you have to... I killed one person who didn't... who had a like a meager connection to you, and you kill my parents and the, the love of my life. What is wrong with you? Brenna, I'm not gonna lie, that's the majority of the reason why her name is Sydney Rosenthorne and not Brenna Clark. <laughs> I was like, if I name her Brenna, this is going to pop off way too quickly. Rude ass. I know. I'm sorry. But who knows? What's going to come next for Sydney Rosenthorn? You'll have to tune in to the next time we do Adventure Zone, if we do Adventure Zone.
Oh, and that's all dependent. That's all dependent. <laughs> I know that noise. And that's the noise of, oh, you have no choice. We're doing adventures on again. I, if we don't, I have to get the rest of the story, please. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Brenna, that that was the podcast. I'm sorry, everyone, for it being a little bit long. I've never DM'd anything in actual D&D before. So, yeah, that was exciting. I really want to do another has thing like this so yeah um brenna where can they find you on the internet well you can follow me on twitter at <laughs> brennasaur b-r-e-n-n-a-s-a-u-r and instagram too and all of you that have facebook i'm sure scotty was gonna tell you but i'm gonna say it first that we now have a facebook page so look us up at fun fiction uh, uh. thank you yeah i was waiting for you can find me on twitter at hashtag scotty can go fuck himself oh yeah that too uh, and you can find me on twitter at scotty mo that's s-c-o-t-t-y-e-m-o and you can find me on instagram under the same name and you can buy all my books on amazon there's queasel corp queasel corp risen queasel corp revelations if you I, I honestly think if you're into the adventure zone you would enjoy Queasel Corp. Yes, and if you're into um, people killing beloved characters, you would also enjoy it as well. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. Um, and then you can also buy BS versus the Gods, the book where me and my co-host on a load of BS, Blake Tanner, fight off Grecian gods and what's like if 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 supernatural and American gods had a baby, a drunk baby, it would be that. And you know what, Brennan, you got to talk about our Facebook, but I want to talk about the fact that we did a sh another show. We did. We cheated on fun fiction. We cheated. Well, not because we talked about fun fiction for the majority of it, but we joined our good buddy Zach on the show Nerds Who Make. And I don't know if that's going to come out Tuesday or Monday. Or, but or Sunday. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but check out Nerds Who Make and sometime in the next week, an episode with me and B will come, be up on there. And you guys will enjoy it. It was a good time. I want to have Zach on uh, Opposite Attractions because he's a Disney nerd like I am. But, of course, we ain't talking about Opposite Attractions, Brenna. We're talking about fun fiction. So make sure to go to a load of purebs.com, ladies and gentlemen, and check out the fun fiction section. I actually updated the website to where you don't even have to go to merch.aloadofpurebs.com, but you can if you want to, to buy all of your merch directly off the fun fiction page. It'll have the latest episode and all that. And then, of course, the other BS network products like a load of BS, like Opposite Attractions, and of course, like our wrestling podcast, A Fight, A Boy's but for right now, she's been Brenna Clark. I've been Scotty Moore. And as always, stay away from baby Hitler. <laughs> <laughs>